We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, August the 5th, 2021. Today's show, folks, Gamecocks football is officially back as South Carolina hits the field for fall camp beginning tomorrow in lieu of the start of fall camp. Guys, I'll give you my top five storylines, the top five things I'm most intrigued about and most looking forward to from Shane Beamer's first fall camp in Columbia, South Carolina. Also, guys, we continue along with our position unit preview series today, guys. We are talking the Gamecocks running backs going in the 2021 football season. Guys, first things first, we'll look at how the running backs fared a season ago. Also, meet the running backs for this year's team. We'll talk most to prove, best overall. Season will be successful if, and I'll give my overall grade for the Gamecocks ball carriers going in the 2021 football season. Also, guys, we have a fantastic conversation, a fantastic interview, a throwback interview just like we did last week former Gamecocks fullback Patrick DeMarco joined me all the way back in February of 2019 figure why not let's bring this conversation bring this interview back to life as of course Pat now working with South Carolina football on Shane Beamer's staff a phenomenal interview and a phenomenal show here on a Thursday folks sit back relax enjoy it's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group guys Upstate Movers Group superior moving service they bring care and attention the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. Their movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group, or of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
Ladies and gents, boys and girls, happy Thursday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, here's the Spurs Up show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. We have got a packed show, and folks, I am fired up here on a Thursday. I am fired up as we sit here on this Thursday, August the 5th, 2021, and Shane Beamer's football team reporting today, fall camp, beginning tomorrow. And I know some of you will say, Chris, it's just practice. Who really cares? But after last year, folks, when everything was a mess, right? Everything was topsy-turvy. The world was upside down. Take nothing for granted. How can you not have perspective? And the fact we're going to have a normal fall camp with the Gamecocks getting their 24, 25, however many practices in it is, their scrimmages at Williams-Brice Stadium as we continue to count down the days. Now just under a month away, by the way, as we count down the days to kickoff. I, for one, am fired up. As as of tomorrow, Gamecocks football on the field is officially back this fall. Folks, we made it. Give yourself a round of applause. And this is the time of the year. You know, we call it the dog days of August, right? We call it the dog days of August. But you can feel the intensity now start to ramp up. We all had a fun summer, right? We all had a really good time at the lake, at the beach, whatever we were doing. And I know these last couple of weekends, these last couple of weeks, we're obviously getting our last-minute trips in and stuff like that. But this is really where things start to get intense. This is really where you start to feel it. Like even in your conversation with your buddies, your family, your friends, whoever it might be, you start talking Carolina football, you start talking college football, and you're like, hey, it's serious now. The boys are on the field. The pads are going to start popping. And folks, I, for one, am damn fired up and excited to be talking to you and to be talking about fall camp here on a Thursday. Again, folks, thank you all so much for tuning in. Appreciate the love and support. Your continued love and support as we have navigated this preseason together. And I am so excited now that we get to start talking and breaking down Gamecocks football that is actually happening on the field. Again, we sit now less than a month away from kickoff. Man, it feels good, guys. I'm excited. I'm fired up. I hope you are as well. Guys, a quick update really quickly. If you ordered Beamer Ball Welcome Home Koozies, those have been shipped out. I'm sure many of you have already received them. I just want to say again, thank you all so much for the love and support and your patience as well. I do apologize for the delay that some of you may have had. If you just ordered those, you'll be getting yours in no time. But again, by the time you guys are hearing the sound of my voice, a lot of you have probably gotten those. Those got shipped out Monday night, so they should be getting there in like two to three days max. So again, thank you all so much for the love and support. You guys have bought tons of those. We've got plenty more left. If anybody's interested, TSUS.store, the Beamer Ball and Welcome Home Koozies. Those are available now, TSUS.store. And also, a quick reminder, guys, hey, go get your Beamer Ball stuff. Go get your Gamecocks football stuff now on TSUS.store because you don't want to wait to the last minute because guess what? If you wait any longer, I can't guarantee it'll be there by kickoff and you want to make sure you have your Beamer Ball, your Shane Storm, you're all aboard the Shane Train, everything you need for kickoff and for game day in Shane Beamer's first season. Also, guys, a quick reminder, in case you missed it on social media, Monday night, we have teamed up with our friends at Dason and Shalabi Law Firm. We are running a giveaway. We are giving away two free tickets 
two free tickets to the Gamecocks season opener against Eastern Illinois. Guys, to be eligible, it's through Instagram, and it's very, very simple. Like the post, tag three friends. You must follow Dason and Shalabi Law Firm on Instagram. We will be picking a winner Wednesday, August the 11th at 8 p.m. So we'll be returning to Tin Roof, by the way, for our weekly live shows. We'll be back at Tin Roof, so I'll do my live show 5 to 7 at 8 o'clock, probably sitting in Tin Roof. I will pick our winner and we'll post that out again guys we're going to pick pick one winner and give both tickets away to them so be sure you are eligible for that we're planning on i think giving away tickets to each and every single home game this season again i truly appreciate our friends over at dason and shalabi law firm for making that possible really 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 good stuff all right let's dive into it folks again we're talking fall camp we're continuing along with our position unit preview series. But, of course, we've got to start. Players reporting today, camp getting going tomorrow, Shane Beamer's first fall camp in Columbia. And I want to talk about the top five storylines, the top five things I'm keeping an eye on as the Gamecocks navigate their way through fall camp in preparation for September the 4th and kickoff against Eastern Illinois. And let's get this thing running, shall we? No pun intended, actually a lot of pun, because my first storyline, that I'm really paying attention to as we go. Again, this football team offensively will go as Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, Rashad Amos, Zaquandre White. And again, it's kind of ironic we're talking running backs on today's show because this team will go as they go. My first storyline, running backs lead the way. It's all about the Gamecocks running backs in this offense behind that big physical offensive line, four of five starters returning. How does Marcus Satterfield and Montario Hardesty and Shane Beamer, how do they manage the running backs on this offense? Because you take a look at those guys, and we know what we have in Kevin Harris. 15 touchdowns a season ago was the SEC's leading rusher. Marshawn Lloyd back from injury. Hey, we saw Zaquandre White in the spring game. I thought Rashad Amos, Amos was very impressive in his short stint last year running the football and his limited action. How do they manage this group of guys? And, hey, we've heard some things about Kevin Harris. Is he maybe banged up a little bit going into fall camp? Is he going to be 110%? Will Marshawn Lloyd have to shoulder some of the load? Again, that is the rumor right now. I'm not confirming anything, but that seems to be a hot rumor right now as well. We know Kevin Harris in the spring. He didn't take all the carries. He didn't play in the spring game. Maybe that opens the door a little bit for Marshawn Lloyd to – take more reps as the number one running back. Because here's the funny thing, guys. With Kevin Harris, I think one of the reasons Kevin Harris has not gotten the love and respect that many fans feel he deserves in the preseason, I think there's this thought amongst people that say, Kevin Harris might not even be the best running back on his own team. And I know some of you right now are taken aback, like, Chris, there's no way. How how could you say that about Kevin? And listen, I... I want to put all the respect in the world on Kevin Harris's name after what he did a season ago. He deserves to be the guy coming in this season. But hear me out. The highest-rated running back prospect you have signed since a guy named Marcus Lattimore wore the jersey in Columbia. Five-star prospect. If Marshawn Lloyd is the dude that we all think he's going to be, watch out. He could be the best back on this roster. But I'm very interested to see... Coming out of fall camp, what does the running back room 
look like? Because we know with the previous staff, the previous regime, they were very, oh, we just want to go with the hot hand. You know, we'll see who's running it best, you know, game by game by game. Is it a 1A, 1B? Do, does South kind of want to establish a true number one running back? Because that's going to be one of the big-time position battles, which I want to talk about a little bit more early next week as well, That's we're going to see. There's going to be a lot of position battles this fall. Hey, it's still wide open. Brand-new coaching staff, brand-new head coach, brand-new coordinators. And when you've won a combined six games your last two seasons, every position is basically wide open. That even includes running back after what Kevin Harris did. So, again, you have a great problem, guys, as I've mentioned many, many times in the sense of you got a ton of great options and you got a ton of guys fighting for carries. What does the running back room look like coming out of fall camp? Is it 1A, 1B with Lloyd and Harris? Is Kevin Harris the clear-cut number one? Is Marshawn Lloyd, God forbid, the clear-cut number one? How do they use a Quandre White? How do they use Rashad Amos? How do you, how do you give carries to all of those guys. What is the strategy in the running back room? I'll be very, very interested to see that because the running game, the running game is going to be the most important aspect of this football team offensively this year. If South Carolina cannot run the football, they are simply not going to win. So I'll be very interested to see what that looks like as we go through fall camp, how that evolves, what are we hearing about Marshawn Lloyd? What are we hearing about Kevin Harris and all the other guys as well? Really, really intrigued and interested to see that. My second top storyline that I will be paying attention to, and I know all of us will, as the Gamecocks go through Shane Beamer's first fall camp in Columbia, is this, and it's a question. Does anyone, and I mean anyone, does anyone emerge on the outside. And when I say the outside, guys, of course, I'm talking the wide receiver position. After the spring game, and if I've said this once, I've said it a hundred times. After the spring game, I told you guys, when we look at this position, and we're going to break down the wide receivers early next week, by the way, in our position unit preview series. But when you look at the wide receiver position, there are a lot of guys. There's a lot of bodies. There are a lot of options. And if you listen to Shane Beamer, if you listen to Justin Stepp, they'll tell you that. But right now, what your problem is, you've still got a lot of guys, but you don't have any dudes. South kind of comes into fall camp with no idea who its number one option is at wide receiver. No idea. No idea. Again, I've projected Amarian Brown, but he hasn't really done anything since he got on campus. Amarian Brown didn't catch any passes in the spring game. Amarian Brown barely even practiced in the spring as he was nursing an injury. So, you don't need six or seven or eight or all of the guys at the wide receiver position to blossom and to become big-time players, but you need a handful. You need three or four because I just talked about the running game and how important it is, and you'll go as the running game goes, and that's very true. But, guys, there are going to come points this season where South Carolina is going to have to throw the football. If nothing else, they're going to have to have the threat of throwing the football. And it's going to be very tough for a guy like Luke Doty to have success under center if you don't have some guys on the outside week after week after week that you can depend on, that are consistent, that you look at and say, you know what, these are guys, you know, week after week, they're playmakers for us. They can make plays. They're dependable. They're going to catch the football. They can do things with it after they catch it. You got to find those guys. Do, does anyone, does anyone, do we start to hear in the scrimmages from practices? Do we, do we start to hear Shane Beamer, Justin Stepp, Marcus Satterford? Do we start to hear them talk about some guys maybe separating themselves a little bit? Because that really, I don't think that really happened in the spring. You know, I, I, I know Dak Joyner was a guy that was talked about and, 
and uh, Jalen Brooks has been talked about here and there and, and, and Josh Van, but I still don't really feel like we know a whole lot at wide receiver. We don't really know, hey, who are going to be the guys, like I said, we can depend on week after week after week. You got, what, three weeks, four weeks of practice? That's got to be one of the top priorities for Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterfield, and this football team is finding guys on the outside that are playmakers and that can help you offensively. My third top storyline, guys, and I'm most looking forward to going into fall camp. Let's switch sides of the ball. Defensively, newcomers looking to make an immediate impact on defense. I feel like there are a ton of them. You start up front, Jordan Strawn, the sack leader in all of college football a season ago. Listen, I didn't list him as a starter on the initial, you know, when I taught defense a couple of weeks ago, I didn't list him as a starter because you're just so loaded on the defensive line. Make no mistake, guys. Jordan Strawn is going to play. There's no question he is going to play this year for the Gamecocks, and I would probably say make an impact. Just how big of an impact can he make going from Georgia State to the SEC? You look at the next level, the linebacker position, Debo Williams. Can he fill the shoes of the departed Ernest Jones, who, guys, I've said it before, I'll say it again, was the heart and soul of your defense a season ago. And then, of course, guys, at the back end, the secondary, do I really even have to say anything? Karan Prunty, obviously the big transfer from Kansas, the freshman All-American in the Big 12. Can he be opposite of Cam Smith as one of your top defensive backs? I look at guys like Tyrese Ross. Uh, I look at a guy like Marcellus Dial, the Juco kid. You've got a ton of new additions in the back of your defense. You know, it's funny. When I was at the Welcome Home event and Shane Beamer was talking about the secondary, you know, he's, he made the joke that he felt like every single day he was having to go introduce himself, the new guys and the new people on the roster and all that. So there are a lot of new additions defensively, and this is a defense that is looking to regroup after an embarrassing, embarrassing 2020 campaign. I, I don't care if it was COVID. I don't care if it was a 10-game SEC schedule. You can make every excuse in the book, but that was an embarrassment what South kind of put on the field a season ago. And a lot of those guys, a fair number of those guys, are back. How much different does the defense look this season? What are we hearing about the defense in fall camp? I'll especially be interested, you know, most coaches do give you an indication is offense ahead of defense, is defense ahead of offense. What do we hear? Does Shane Beamer give us any indications of, hey, the defense dominated today. Hey, the offense dominated. And I, again, you can't really draw conclusions from that because you're going up against each other. We're not going to know anything, guys, until South kind of takes the field September the 4th against EIU and probably really won't know anything until you get farther in the season. You play ECU, Georgia, Kentucky. We start getting deeper in SEC play. And then we start to figure out what this football team's all about. But there will be a lot of newcomers that South Carolina will be looking to to make that immediate impact on defense. What do you get out of those guys? And hey, just how good are those guys? Are those guys ready to take control of starting spots? Hey, you're looking for a leader on defense. Is Debo Williams going to be that guy? Somebody we talked about a lot in the spring and somebody that had been identified as a leader as soon as he got on campus in the weight room and in spring practice and all that good stuff. How big of an impact? And, of course, Karan Prunty, like I mentioned, the secondary. How big of an impact can those newcomers make on this Gamecocks defense, a defense that will be looking for a big-time rebound season in Clayton White's first season as defensive coordinator? Guys, let's move on to my fourth top storyline. My fourth top storyline heading into Shane Beamer's first fall camp as Gamecocks head football coach. And, hey, 
you guys are probably wondering how in the world have we made it this far without talking about the quarterback position? Yes, we're finally going to do it, folks, as it is Luke Doty's first fall camp as QB1. My fourth storyline, Luke Doty's first camp as QB1. Now, notice, notice something really quickly. And you guys probably picked up on this earlier in the week when I talked about quarterbacks, right? And I broke down the quarterbacks and I, I put out my projected depth chart. And, you know, you guys probably noticed that I think many people were expecting one of the top storylines in fall can to be the quarterback competition and the quarterback battle. And can Jason Brown take QB1 from Luke Doty? Listen, guys, I like Jason Brown. I've actually met Jason in person. Jason is an awesome dude, and I'm glad he's a Gamecock. But I want to make one thing clear. There is not a battle for QB1. And I, I know that might sound crazy. And listen, all spots are open. I, I totally agree. I definitely said that earlier, and I stick by that. All spots are open, right? Luke Doty has to continue to go out there day after day, practice after practice, and continue to establish he is this team's starting quarterback, and he is QB1 going in the season. But as long as he does that, there's a reason he was named QB1 right after the spring game. And fans can say on social media and say, oh, I, I think Jason Brown's better. He has the it factor, which I don't even know what that means, really, to be totally honest with you. People saying he's got the it factor, though, and, and I think he'll be starting by week four, and I think he'll be starting this, and I think he's so much better than this and that, whatever. Guys, you guys can try to formulate a quarterback battle and a quarterback competition and a quarterback controversy, but I think that, that reaction we saw earlier in the week from fans is the exact reason why Shane Beamer named Luke Doty QB1 after the spring game. Now, with that being said, once you accept that, what I'm most looking forward to from the quarterback position is not a quarterback controversy. It's not a quarterback battle. How does Luke Doty, though? This is the first time in his career course he came in last year as a freshman, so still a very young player. But the first time in his career coming into a camp of any kind, whether it be spring, it be fall, whatever it is, as the dude. He is the guy. He is QB1. He is the man everybody in that huddle and on that football team is looking to. And you guys might remember, we had Perry Orth on the show. Just a couple of weeks or a couple of months ago, if you will, you know, I asked him about that. You know, what's it like for Luke Doty right now? What's it going to be like? You know, he's the big man on campus, right? Students are going to come back and they're all going to be looking at him. And, you know, it's, it's different, right? When you go from being just a quarterback on the roster to being QB1, to being the man. He is the man right now. He's going to be the man going into kickoff against Eastern Illinois you know, unless something crazy happens, honestly. I, I think there's no chance. I think there's no way. Luke Doty, he's going to be QB1. Bottom line, guys, you can like that. You can not like that. I'm just telling you, though, you can hold me to it. You can save this clip. You can do whatever. He is going to be QB1. What I'm more intrigued by and the storyline I'm looking for and looking forward to seeing and following is his evolution and progression in these 25 or so practices, getting ready for kickoff September the 4th against EIU. What do we hear Marcus Satterfield, Shane Beamer? What do we hear the players say about Luke Doty? Because, again, my big thing is this. I feel good about his athleticism. I feel good about his ability, guys. There's a reason he was a top 100 recruit. I want to see Luke Doty flip the switch and evolve into the true leader of this football team. And I'm not saying he's not already that. But I think that's a big deal, obviously. You know, we, we've seen the type of impact 
that guys can have at that position when they got a group of guys around them that believe in them and, 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 and believe they're the dude and that, you know, they'll go to war with them, right? That's their brother. They'll go to war with them. I want to see Luke Doty evolve into and become that and, and truly be this team's leader at the quarterback position. So again, Luke Doty's first camp as QB one, how does he handle it? How does he handle being the guy? How does he handle being the dude? I think he will handle it well because I think Luke Doty and most assumed he was QB one in spring. So I don't think this is something different for him. You know, Shane Beamer pointed out he took every single rep as QB one in spring practice. He was QB one of the spring guys. He will be QB one in fall camp. And I expect him to be QB one all season long for the Gamecocks this fall. Guys, my final storyline in my top five storylines headed into fall camp, my final storyline and maybe I'm saving the best for last or maybe the biggest storyline heading into fall camp, which begins tomorrow, as Beamer's football team looks to find its identity offensively, defensively, special teams, and as a whole. These 25 practices, this is really where this football team is going to find out who it is. You know, this is where you're going to establish, okay, what type of team are we? You know, are we... Um, you know, offensively, defensively, special teams, guys, whatever it might be, this is where this team is going to establish itself as the type of football team it's going to be throughout this football season. The physicality, the, the offensive style, the defensive style, the aggressiveness, if you will, special teams, aggressiveness on special teams. Guys are going to win jobs, all your position battles. And again, you got a brand new head coach. You got brand new coordinators all brand new staff. I mean, it's basically just a brand new football team. And we know all the questions, all the questions that surround this football team going into kickoff. We know all the positive momentum in the preseason, the positive energy surrounding the program right now. And we feel really good about how things feel going into fall camp. But this football team establishing itself, finding its identity, and if nothing else, starting to answer those questions in fall camp and answer as many questions as you can going into kickoff against EIU. That's something I'll be paying really, really close attention to. And again, I know we cannot watch practices. We can't go to scrimmages. We don't even have a fan day, which I know really sucks. But Hearing the comments from Shane Beamer, Marcus Satterhill, Clayton White, you know, this is that time of year, guys, where we're hanging on every single word those guys say, what the players say, all that good stuff, and trying to follow it as closely as we can. And I'll tell you guys this, too. I'll probably have some guys behind the scenes that maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll get some tidbits from here and there. Hey, if you're in the in the big if you're in the big cock club, that'll sure, certainly be something you'll be hearing about as we go through fall camp. But Beamer's football team looking to find its identity. In his first fall camp is we truly, like I said, guys, now the intensity picks up because guess what? In less than 30 days, you're going to be taking on another team. You're going to be hitting somebody else, and it is going to get real. So, again, guys, that's my top five storylines heading into fall camp. Would love to hear you guys' thoughts. What are you looking forward to most from Shane Beamer's first fall camp at Columbia? The Gamecocks prepare themselves for the season opener against EIU on September the 4th. Guys, speaking of that, and speaking of this football team and getting into the nitty-gritty, let's continue with our position unit preview series as we break down the Gamecocks running backs heading into 2021 football season. And what a fun position group to talk about because, man, you have got some real talent at this position 
in Shane Beamer's first year. Guys, before we look ahead to this year's group, let's look back at 2020 and what a year it was for the Gamecocks running backs. As we all recall, in fall camp, if you remember anything I was saying about this team, I said Marshawn Lloyd's going to be the focal point. He is going to be the guy South going to turn us to offensively. And when he went down with that leg injury, I said to myself, oh, no, this offense is going to be terrible. I don't think Kevin Harris is really ready to shoulder the load. You know, I thought he was a nice player in 2019, but I didn't really see him as a premier back. I thought it was just more of like a bigger guy, situational guy, third and short, fourth and short kind of guy. Boy, did he exceed all of our expectations. Kevin Harris in 2020, 185 carries, 1,138 yards, and 50. Total touchdowns on the 2020 season, leading the SEC in rushing. You also had Deshaun Fenwick, 54 carries, 297 yards, and one touchdown. Rashad Amos had 18 carries for 103 yards, and Zaquandre White, 16 carries for 59 yards. But of course, guys, it was the Kevin Harris show. Harris, he was the first running back, what, since 2014 to rush for over 1,000 yards in a season. For South Carolina was an incredible year in a 10-game all-conference schedule. Absolutely insane year from Kevin Harris. Now, let's move to 2021. Let's meet the running backs for this 2021 football season. Of course, you have to start with the junior running back in Kevin Harris. There's also redshirt freshman Marshawn Lloyd, redshirt seniors Aquandre White, redshirt freshman Rashad Amos, freshman Juju McDowell, redshirt freshman Bruce Staley, freshman Nathan Harris Wainick and redshirt freshman Bradley Dunn. But of course, guys, the big one, Marshawn Lloyd returning from injury. We saw what Zaquandre White did in the spring game. Like I told you guys, I thought Rashad Amos looked very, very good in limited action a season ago. And oh, by the way, the SEC's leading returning rusher is back in Kevin Harris. So you are absolutely loaded at the running back position. You've got dudes on dudes on dudes on dudes. And like I've said many, many times this preseason, the running game should be the strength of this football team. I fully expect South Carolina to be a run first team. And why wouldn't you? You have to play to your strengths. You have fantastic backs, guys. This is arguably the best running back room in the SEC, in my opinion. I, I know some rank it fourth. They rank it fifth. Bullshit. I think it's the best running back room in the SEC. It's damn near one of the best. If not the best, it's the top two or three at worst in the entire conference. Now, let's talk most to prove, best overall, season will be successful if, and I'll give my overall grade for the unit. First, we'll talk most to prove from this group of backs. And... This one, to me, is very simple. This one's very simple. Because I have to catch myself at times. Because I put all of the expectations and the hype and the pressure on Marshawn Lloyd a season ago. In fall camp, like I said, guys, I was touting him. You know, he's going to be the focal point of our offense. We're going to do everything around him. He's going to be a big-time player. You know, he was ranked, I think, like top 35 returning running backs in 2020, and he had never even taken a snap in college. I mean, we're talking about a guy, like I said, guys, the highest-rated running back prospect since Marshawn, or excuse me, since Marcus Lattimore signed with the Gamecocks way back in 2010. So that is saying a lot. But Marshawn Lloyd, returning from injury, 
all the expectations, all the hype, and we feel good. We've seen videos. He's 110% back. He will partake in fall camp. Has he lost a step? How much of a step has he lost? Can he be the guy that we all put those expectations on? To me, it's a no-brainer. The most to prove out of this Gamecocks running backs room is Marshawn Lloyd. Again, the reason he has the most to prove is because the expectations for him are so high. I think even with people's excitement over Kevin Harris and what he did a season ago and him returning this year, if Carolina fans are honest with you, if they're honest with you, They really want to see and still believe that Marshawn Lloyd is going to be the dude in this backfield. He's going to be the dude. He was recruited to be that guy. And like I've told you guys before, hey, stars don't mean everything, right? They don't mean everything. But if you truly believe that recruiting is the lifeblood of college football and you look at a guy like Marshawn Lloyd, you need him to be that player. You need him to be that game-breaking, game-changing type of player. Do we finally get to see that product on the field? Do we finally get to see Marshawn Lloyd live up to the hype and live up to the expectations and be the guy that we all thought he was going to be on the recruiting trail? Again, can't judge him off last year, of course. He was hurt. He was injured, which was a really, really unfortunate situation. But I, you know, I think we all know the kid. He's resilient. Um, he's a hell of a kid. He's battled the injury. He's come back. He's 110%. And I know we have all very high hopes and high aspirations for him. But most approved, Marshawn Lloyd. It's Kevin Harris's backfield until somebody takes it away from him. Can he do that? Can he at minimum make himself part of that 1A, 1B, that two-headed monster, and be that home run type of threat that we heard about all in the preseason last year and in the recruiting process as Well, and that leads me to best overall, guys, and it's Kevin Harris. I I will spare you the dramatics. It is Kevin Harris. And like I said, I really feel that, you know, and and I'm talking to myself here, that I've got to stop and put respect, even more respect, on Kevin Harris's name because I think we get so lost in – you know, the hype and, and, and the unknown, if you will. We, we, people get excited about the unknown. Right? That's, that's why the backup quarterback is the most popular man on campus, because he's the unknown. Oh, what could the unknown hold? Maybe, maybe this will happen. Maybe that will happen. And, you know, we, we, we almost forget about what Kevin Harris did a season ago, and we talk Marshawn Lloyd, and, you know, we look at his flashy highlight tape, and we hear this about him and that about him. We see the stars, and it's like I, I, I've tried to be careful coming in this season because – I think it would be disrespectful to come into this year, even if I think that at the end of the season, Marshawn Lloyd will be the number one running back and, you know, he's the most talented back on the roster. And if Marshawn Lloyd's 110%, you know, I've said this before, but he's 110%. If he's healthy, he is the best running back on this roster. He probably will be South Carolina's number one running back. But guys, with that being said, until that happens, until Marshawn Lloyd takes that job away from Kevin Harris, you have to put respect on his name literally the sec's leading rusher a season ago 1138 yards 15 total touchdowns in a 10 game all sec schedule what kevin harris did was incredible it's beyond words what he did for this Carolina football team literally putting them on his back game after game after game when teams knew We couldn't throw. They knew we were running the ball, and Kevin Harris still ran it down people's throats. While he may not be the most highly 
touted or the, you know, the flashiest guy or his game's not the sexiest to watch. He was kind of a bigger bodied guy. He's kind of a more quiet, you know, uh, not very outgoing. He's kind of to himself, if you will. He's not that flashy type of player. Kevin Harris is one of the best backs, if not the best back right now in the SEC. And until proven otherwise, until a guy like Marshawn Lloyd or somebody else takes that away, you've got to list Kevin Harris as the best overall running back on this Gamecocks football team. So again, best overall for me from the running backs, none other than the SEC's leading rusher a season ago, Kevin Harris, which moves us to season will be successful if. And guys, you'll notice when I do these that most of these will not be centered around, oh, well, you got to hit this many yards or this many touchdowns or, you know, it's not really going to be a stat-focused thing. Sometimes it might be, but for the most part, it won't be. And that's the case here as well, because to me, you know, we could say, oh, well, this guy needs to rush for a thousand. This guy needs to rush for 800. You know, both guys need to rush for a thousand guys. It's very simple. The season will be successful if Marshawn Lloyd has a healthy 2021. If if Marshawn Lloyd is healthy, the stats are going to take care of themselves. Now, with that being said, do I expect South Carolina to have two 1000 yard rushers? No, I do not. I, I think simply because. Um, I don't think the Gamecocks are quite on that level. I think they would need a more consistent passing game than they're probably going to have this season. I think Luke Doty is also going to run the football himself, which will take away carries from these two guys. But either way, whatever, forget, forget the stats. If Marshawn Lloyd is 100% healthy this season, this running game will flourish. This offense will flourish because I fully expect Kevin Harris to do his thing. I mean, he was a monster a season ago. Nothing's going to change. I don't see that changing at all. As long as Marshawn Lloyd's healthy, guys, you've got Zaquandre White. You've got Rashad Amos. You've got other guys beyond them as well. I mean, you've got a legit stable of big-time running backs. So for this season to be successful, like I said, guys, I could say, oh, this many touchdowns, this many yards. But the stats will take care of themselves. Season will be successful if Marshawn Lloyd, simply put, is healthy in 2021. Watch out because this will be the best one-two combo, the best duo, the best running back room in the SEC if that is the case. Finally, guys, let's move to my overall grade for the Gamecocks running back setting the 2021 football season. And like I just said, you know, I truly believe it's it's – it's kind of an argument. I don't waste a lot of time on it because, listen, the bias comes out from every fan base. If you're an A&M fan, you think Isaiah Spiller is the best running back. You think you have the best running back room. If you're an Auburn fan, you think Tang Bigsby's the best. If you're a Kentucky fan, you think Chris Rodriguez is the best. If you're, um, you know, an Ole Miss fan, you think Jerrion Ely. And the list just goes on and on because there are a ton of great running backs in the SEC. But South Carolina, Kevin Harris, Marshawn Lloyd, Jaquandre White, Rashad Amos, they play second fiddle to no one. They play second fiddle to no one. And I think back, you know, South Carolina's had some really, really good running backs. But I cannot think of a time where they had this type of depth. And I mean, folks, it's been a while since South Carolina has truly had this good of a one-two punch to attack teams with. 
For that reason, I look at this room. I see no weaknesses. You have the SEC's leading returning rusher from a season ago. You have Marshawn Lloyd, who was a five-star prospect and is healthy. Like I told you guys, we saw what Zaquandre White did in the spring game. I think he's very explosive, runs very, very hard. Rashad Amos was very good in limited action the season ago. I give the overall grade an A+. I have nothing bad to say about the Gamecocks running backs. Again, they are the strength of this football team. They are what's going to carry this football team. This football team will go as the running back and as the running game go. I feel good about the running game. I, I, I just don't – why would you give them less than an A+. Plus? Why would you give this group less than an A+. Plus? I, I, you know, the only knock you could really have on them is Marshawn Lloyd hasn't played yet because he hasn't been healthy. But, I mean – yeah, I mean, so be it, I guess. I guess that's true, but that doesn't take away how good this room is going to be this season, how good this room is right now. So, again, my overall grade of the Gamecocks running backs, an A-plus, a perfect grade for the South Carolina ball carrier. So, again, guys, that's going to do it for my position in a preview series, the Gamecocks running backs heading in the 2021 football season. On Monday's show, we will talk South Carolina wide receivers so going to be a very very interesting show on monday's show folks this has been a lot of fun you know it's it's fun right now like i said we're in august first august show was monday but we're in august we're getting in the nitty-gritty we've got fall camp we've got gamecocks football on the field man it feels good we made it we made it we made it through the preseason we made it to the preseason now we are officially into fall camp football is taking place I know NFL is back tonight with the preseason. I know it's the preseason, but again, folks, have perspective. I mean, why not? We had nothing basically at this time last year, so it feels good. And again, thank you all so much, man, for the continued love and support because like I've told you guys, the engagement, the interaction, you guys continue to rock with everything we do, all the content, even throughout the preseason, which I know is a quote-unquote slow time, and it's one of the more quote-unquote dead times. But like I told you guys before, there is no off-season, baby. We keep rocking. We keep rolling. We keep pumping out the content. Content bleeding out of the freaking eyeballs. Guys, quick update, by the way. As you all know right now, I am in Missouri seeing my brother graduating from basic training. So I'm out of town. So, of course, there's been no Daily Crow this week. It will return next week, Monday through Friday. Also, our daily or, excuse me, weekly live shows from Tin Roof. That will return next Wednesday as well. So again, everything back to normal next week. And really starting next week is when I'll be on the home front in the studio, locked in. We're getting stuff scheduled out. Also, guys, we're playing Clemson on Heisman on Sunday. We're beginning our TSUS season simulation series next week as well, which I am really, really, really really fired up about those are so much fun so again i'll be dropping that schedule for that guys i highly encourage you to tune in and guys it's only going to ramp up from here if you think things are crazy right now if you think i'm pumping out a lot of content right now just freaking wait man just freaking wait because we are we're back we're basically hey we're i say we're back but you know what that would say like drake said if I say I'm back, that insinuates I ever left in the first place. And you know what? We never left. We never left. We've been here the entire time, bro. We're going to keep rocking. We're going to keep rolling. And again, thank you all so much for the love and support. Now, don't go anywhere, though. We got one hell of a conversation, one hell of an interview, a throwback interview all the way from February in 2019, former Gamecocks fullback and current member, by the way, of Shane Beamer's staff. 
Patrick DeMarco. Again, he joined me on the airwaves way back in February of 2019. Talked about his South Carolina career, his NFL career. Really, really good stuff, guys. And again, if you've never heard this interview, you are in for an absolute treat. So again, guys, thank you all so much for tuning in. Appreciate you all, man, for the love and support. It means the absolute world. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great weekend. And enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks fullback, Patrick DeMarco. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for the Gamecocks uh, from 2007 to 2010, also going into his ninth season in the NFL, uh, currently with the Buffalo Bills. I want to welcome onto the show Patrick tomorrow. Patrick, appreciate you taking the time, and it's a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and go back, Patrick, to your – uh, your college career. Obviously, you're a guy from Florida, played down in Lake Brantley. Um, how did you end up at South Carolina? And I want to ask, did the Spurrier connection have anything to do with you going to South Carolina? Yeah, the Spurrier connection uh, was huge and kind of vital in, uh, in the whole recruiting process. I was, I think I was a two-star coming out. I wasn't very, uh, I wasn't a hot commodity, I would say. Um, but I, I had, um you know, a bunch of Division One AA offers, and I had some local uh, small Division One Florida schools, uh, FAU, FIU, uh, USF, UCF um, type schools that were looking at me. But, um, yeah, I guess the, the connection with uh, my uncle Chris, uh, the professional golfer, knew Steve Spurrier really well. And kind of that was the relationship and how it started. And I went up and I did a few camps with uh, – John Hunt was the regional uh, recruiting guy in Orlando who was the offensive line coach when I was there. And then uh, actually I was recruited as like an outside linebacker defensive end coming out of high school. So I was with Tyrone Nix, who was the linebackers coach and defensive coordinator when I got there. Um, So, yeah, that was kind of how it started. And, um, you know, just, you know, I wanted to play big ball. um, And, um, you know, what's bigger than playing the SEC and for, an offensive minded coach like Coach Spurrier, it was, uh, you know, I know being a great kid and, you know, it wouldn't have changed anything. No doubt. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your, your uncle, Chris DeMarco. I imagine, obviously, he had a very successful career uh, on the PGA Tour. Are you, are you much of a golfer yourself? Did he pass down any of those, uh, those golf genes to you, or did he hog all, all of those to himself? Uh, he's passed me down clubs, but he, <laughs> he, um, he, he doesn't really like playing with me much because I hit the ball – of 50 yards past him but he he makes birdie and I make bogey that's kind of the way it goes but um you know I've, I've since being in the NFL and having an off season um I've actually picked up golf a lot more I actually got my handicap down to like a three or a four right now so uh, I, I can move the ball around pretty good I'm not much of a putter I would say I'm a ball striker I hit the ball like I'm a scratch golfer and I putt like I'm a seven or eight handicap so I need to get out there and putt some more yeah, that, I think that speaks for all of us for sure. Um, so you, you come into South Carolina, mainly used um, on special teams your first couple of years, although your freshman season you, d- you did have a touchdown catch against Kentucky, your first first career mm-hmm. college touchdown. Um, talk about kind of what was the plan for you when you got to South Carolina? How did, how did Steve Spurrier and that offense plan uh, to utilize you? Did they plan always on having you as a fullback, H-back type player? Or, you know, how did they see you? What was your role in that offense when you first got to South Carolina? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question because it, uh, it was pretty strange my first few months on campus. Um, you know, I came in as a two-star prospect. I think I was probably the lowest rated guy that 
that signed in that class. And, uh, you know, I was kind of a, a man on a mission to prove people wrong. So uh, I came in uh, probably in the best shape of my life. I think I was 218 pounds, close to 220 pounds. Um, and, you know, they got me up to 232 or 233 by the time camp started. So in like two or three months, they put almost 15 pounds on me. Um, and they slotted me to play fullback, H-back, kind of right off the bat. Um, so uh, uh, Leonard Stafford was actually the starting fullback at the time, double stack. Um, and he kind of took me under his wing and groomed me. I was more of the receiving fullback. He was more of the kind of the pounding fullback, the downhill lead blocker. And, um, and then that's how it started. But during camp, um, my freshman year, obviously we had Eric Norwood, who was a freshman All-American, um, an incredible player, but we didn't have anywhere to back him up. And I had some experience playing defense and defensive end outside linebacker in high school. Uh, it was really what I did. I didn't play much offense fullback. So uh, Coach Burrier actually, like two weeks into camp, said, Pat, go play some defense. Let's let's get you groomed up there, too, just in case anything happens with Norwood. Um, you know, you could be a good fallback plan for us. So I spent probably a week and a half, two weeks uh, during that training camp strictly playing defense. And then double stack, I think, rolled his ankle uh, and – in one of our scrimmages and immediately he grabbed me and put me right back on offense. So, um, I got a little, got a taste of both sides of the ball for, for a little bit during uh, my freshman camp, but ended up uh, filling the spot on, uh, on offense and playing fullback. Most, uh, most of my career played a little bit of tight end. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was cool. Special teams was, was definitely a huge role in me getting on the field. I, Personally, I thought I was going to redshirt getting there or, or even gray shirt being such a, um, you know, being a two-star prospect and not having, um, you know, too much being a, a heralded um, prospect. So, I, um, you know, I just went there and I grinded kind of same same way I did in the NFL and I'm, I'm still here. Absolutely. So, I, I got to ask, Leonard Stafford, um, what's the story behind the nickname Double Stack? Because I know you've referenced him a couple of times, that nickname. What's the what's the story behind that? Oh, uh, we called him Double Stack because he was like five foot six and 265 pounds. He looked like just a double stack of cheeseburgers just sitting right there. I mean, he was as wide as he was tall, and he he was a bruiser. He was He was definitely a heck of a player to learn from. He was probably one of the best blocking fullbacks I've ever been around. Yeah, definitely a smart guy too. I think I remember. I think I remember seeing him. He was like majoring in engineering or something. Had like a three eight GPA. I, I don't know. Maybe I imagine that. I think I saw no, that spot, spot on. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, think, he was a super sharp dude, and it was, you know, as a, as a freshman in the SEC, it was great to be in a room with him and kind of learn behind him and and guys like Corey Boyd and Mike Davis and you know me and uh, Brian Maddox from the same class. So we we had a lot of talent in that room. Absolutely. So you mentioned Steve Spurrier, obviously your Hall of Fame head coach uh, in the AAF now doing big things. But talk about your relationship with Steve Spurrier, because I imagine that, you know, as your role in the offense became uh, became bigger and you got to touch the football more and become more involved in the offense. I'm sure that relationship sort of evolved as well. Um, Talk about overall that relationship with Steve Spurrier when you're playing and also, I mean, to this day. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, coach, I mean, he's an offensive genius, as everybody knows. I was reading somewhere on Twitter the other day that the first first play of this AAF game, he drew up a bomb and tried to score on the very first play, and it did not surprise me one bit. <laughs> um, 
yeah, he's, you know, being in the offensive room with him, I mean, he called plays. He did kind of just about everything when it came to the offensive side of the ball. Um, so from, from a coaching standpoint, it was, it was the best case scenario for a guy who wanted to play on the offensive side of the ball to learn and be groomed under a guy like that. Um, personally, he's, you know, Coach Spurrier is a, is a super nice dude. He's, you know, he's as genuine as they come. He doesn't have that much of a filter, I'm sure, as you know, when it comes to saying stuff off the top of his what, – what, what pops in his head, he generally says. That's why he gets in trouble with the media some. And he's just like that with the guys. But it's, uh, it's no harm, no foul. Um, but uh, now I, I talk to Coach probably twice a year. Um, he generally shoots me a, a text right after uh, right after training camp and just says, you know, congrats on making the team again. So proud of you. This and that. And, um, you know, the last time I saw him in person was – she was probably – four or five years ago at my wedding. Uh, so coach and Jerry came to my wedding um, down at, at Reynolds plantation. And I remember I was leaving the pool uh, coming up to go shower to get ready. Uh, and they were just checking in at the hotel and I bumped into him. And I was said, Hey coach, how's everything going? How are you doing? He's like, it's like, I'm good, Pat. He's like, you're not getting cold feet or anything. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> T- typical Spurrier moment or like two hours before my wedding. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I still have a good relationship with the coach and, and I actually have a buddy who is on staff down there with the AAF in Orlando. Um, so I've, I'll need to go down there this off season and, and, and catch up with them. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like, thanks coach for the vote of confidence two hours before I get married. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, obviously again, you played from 2007 to 2010, your last two seasons, you played with a quarterback by the name of Steven Garcia, a good friend of this show, repeat guest on this show. Um, and I thought it was interesting that when Steven sort of took over, you know, makes sense, but your junior and senior seasons is when your stats really started to, um, go up and we know that your production went up. Talk about your relationship mm-hmm. with Steven Garcia, because we've had others on the show before, even Eric Norwood, like you mentioned that. I, you could always tell the players really rallied around Steven Garcia and he really brought a spark to the South Carolina team that I just don't think any other, any other quarterback on the roster brought, but just talk about your overall, uh, overall relationship with Steven Garcia. Yeah. I mean, Steven was roommate. Uh, he was my roommate for three of the four years we were on campus. Uh, the only reason he wasn't my roommate for one of those years, is cause he got kicked off campus. Um, so yeah, me and Steve have a great, uh, great relationship and um, you know I think the best way to kind of summarize him his careers he's just a warrior um, you know he kind of has that mentality when he straps it on like there, there, there's no doubt about it he's going to put his life on the line he's going to go out there and do everything he can to win a football game and I think that's why he had so much success on the field um, I mean, I remember plays where, where he's hurling guys on, on third and seven. He's scrambling around. He's jumping over DBs. He ran over Will Hill on the one-yard line and, and powered him in the end zone uh, against Florida to send us to the SEC uh, championship game and win the East. I mean, he's just um, he, he's just tough, man, and he's one of the most competitive guys um, I've ever met. When it comes to playing video games or it comes to uh, shooting jump shots at the direct gym or if it comes to you know chugging beers like he's pretty good at he's competitive at everything <laughs> and he's and he gets after it 
No doubt. So I feel like every year you were at South Carolina, Pat, you know, you guys got better and better, which eventually led up to the 2010 SEC East title. I want to ask you, um, you know, you played with some, obviously some awesome players, you know, throughout your career. And I think 2010 was the culmination of you guys had a guy on campus, Marcus Lattimore. Um, What was life like blocking for Marcus Lattimore being in front of him? It was easy. Life was very easy blocking for a guy like that. He, he made me look, really good I'm and I miss him a lot I saw him uh probably two years ago when I was at a wedding down in Charleston him and his wife went to breakfast at the same spot we were at so it was it was really good to see him and catch up and uh, I mean he's doing amazing things down down there in, in South Carolina and, and impacting all the guys on the on the team and and just doing some amazing stuff I'm so proud of everything that he accomplished I you know I wish to death that he was still playing because he uh, he'd be going to Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl, just given his talent and his ability and just the just the humble person he is. Um, yeah, he made my life easy. He made he really, I think, put me on the map because because uh, he was just such a good talent. I, he just had he had the nature to be able to see past the first level, and I think that was kind of his special trait was was he would he would read the kind of the the line and the movement of the defensive line and how they were stunning and all the games they were doing, he would see that, but he would be looking at the linebackers. And then when he got to the linebackers, he would see the linebackers, but he'd be looking at the safeties. So he always knew kind of how a defense was rotating, how a defense was folding, how how they were fitting on different plays. And, you know, to be a freshman and be able to do that, it was it was, it was really special. Um, I mean, a heck of a player, man. I if he could strap it up, I, I know he still would, and he'd be darn good. No doubt. So, 2009, 2010, again, your junior and senior seasons, uh, you guys were able to defeat the Clemson Tigers, which started a five straight uh, series wins in that series, five straight wins for South Carolina. Um, talk about just what you remember from that rivalry. What do you, what do you still uh, take away from that rivalry, and what are your best memories from it? Uh, you know, besides Williams Vice, that's my favorite stadium to play in. Uh, you know, I've played two games in there and I scored two touchdowns. So, uh, it's, I mean, I have the best odds of going in there and scoring touchdowns. So uh, that's one of my favorite places to play. Um, yeah, um, you know, I, we, uh, we lost to him my freshman year on, uh, oh, we missed a field. We, yeah, we yeah. missed a field goal at the very end of the game to mm-hmm. make us miss a bowl game too, which was pretty unfortunate. Um, and then my sophomore year, we kind of got blown out. It was a, bad weather game and I think Garcia and Smelly both got hurt mm-hmm. um so that was a tough one but then you know we, we were tired of losing those guys so I think it was more of a more of a statement thing and and just an attitude that's saying hey this is going to be our state we're going to run this thing and uh you know those last two years we went in and we dominated I remember we um we got in our like wildcat package uh and for a good bit of the game my junior year and we just I mean I think the opening drives we, we got what got in the entire drive and we drove down and just ran it right down their throats and that's when we knew you know we were going to beat them pretty good um and then my senior year was the was the game when we beat them um up there and I would think Antonio Allen picked off a pass yeah. and that was Cliff a Matthews had a few sacks yeah we, we beat them pretty good that Alshon had a big touchdown catch um yeah I mean there's nothing like going to your rival school and and you know, and beating them on their own turf. And, uh, you know, South Carolina needs to 
needs to get their number back and, and compete against uh, Clemson a little better here in the next few years. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, you can definitely argue that it's a talent issue, but you made a great point, Pat, that I want to ask you about from the player's perspective. And I think, you know, any player that was on those teams with you could answer. But I want to ask you, how much do you think the rivalry is mental even more than it is physical or guys on the field? Because this rivalry obviously has been very streaky. I mean, South Carolina wins five in a row, Clemson wins five in a row. But I feel like it's almost more of, like you said, you guys made a decision that, hey, we're tired of losing these guys. We're going to put our foot down. And this rivalry comes off as very mental to me, and it's something that can really either work to your advantage or kind of tear you apart. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it can kind of go either way. It's, you know, it's it's the 12th game of the year, and, and you're playing a grueling schedule, and then it's rivalry week, and, you know, and then honestly it's the biggest game of the year. Um, so it's definitely a mindset. You know, when you get later in the year, your body gets beat up, you're tired, you're, you know, if you're having a good season, then, you know, you're definitely rolling on highs. But if you're not having a good season, it's kind of like, Oh man, we got one more game and then, and then we're onto a bowl game or this or that. So I mean, personally, when it comes to a rivalry game, a division game, an FCC game, like it, it, you kind of have to treat them all the same. I mean, the next game is the most important game, um, but there always is the extra hype and the extra buzz when it comes to rivalry games. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's a person by person thing, but I mean, personally, like if if you get a chance to, to beat your rival and it's your state for that for 365 days. I mean, there's nothing better than going out there and beating a team that's been talking trash all year. No doubt. So 2010, your senior season, like I've said before, you're most productive. You actually had three receiving touchdowns rushed for 147 yards going into that season. Um, were they planning on using you more so as a pass catching fullback or, um, did that just kind of happen by just, just sort of how the games went? Or what, what was the uh, kind of the story behind that? Well, actually what happened, uh, I don't know if you remember, but Wesley Saunders got in trouble for messing around with agents down in Miami. Yeah, um, so that, he yeah. actually get, he got suspended that year, and I think that was in the spring. Um, yeah, and Coach Berger came up to me right before spring ball and was like, uh, he used to call me D-Mark. So he's like, hey, D-Mark, uh, you're a pretty smart guy. What do you what do you think about uh, maybe playing some tight end for us this year now that Wesley's gone? <laughs> I was like, whatever you need, Coach, like, I'll do whatever whatever you got for me. So I actually, my senior year, I played um, in two tight end sets. I played the F tight end, which is more of like the H-back. And one back sets, I played the true tight end. So I just played um, Y. And then when we were in two back sets, I played fullback. So I, you know, that year I definitely played the most. I, I, I played probably 70 or 80% of offensive snaps. Um, and, you know, I was out there on third down situations, which I generally wasn't um, when I was just playing fullback. So, yeah, it was, um, it was, yeah, a season where I knew I was going to be utilized more. Uh, you know, I was actually nervous. I, um, my senior year, so I scored a touchdown my freshman, sophomore, junior year. And then my senior year, we're week 11 in the season. We're playing, I think it was Troy, and I still hadn't scored a touchdown yet. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, my senior year, I'm going to get skunked, and I'm not going to score a touchdown <laughs> this year. And I ended up scoring a touchdown the next three games. I scored against Troy, I scored against Clemson, and then I scored in the SEC championship game against uh, Auburn. So, um, yeah, I mean – 
definitely when you're playing tight end, you're on the field on third downs, and well, not just that. When you're on the field for majority of snaps, the ball's going to come your way more. And I had a really good relationship with Stephen, being my roommate and stuff. We um, we worked on a lot of stuff, um, you know, in the off season, kind of had our timing down well, and um, yeah, we would study film together and and do things to kind of go out there and attack defenses. And uh, we had a good, uh, we, we saw eye to eye. Yeah, I was going to say, you could definitely see the timing on, I, I honestly, I think specifically to the 2010 Clemson game, the uh, eye formation play action, you go out in the flat, he hits you for the touchdown. I feel like that play, I'm like, that's almost undefendable because it sort of lulls you to sleep. You're biting on the run and then you go out there and, you know, you've got that deceptive speed. So, I mean, to me, that play felt undefendable. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, well, I appreciate the old, the old speed uh, remark right there. That's, uh, that's the first time I've heard that in a while. I'm getting old. <laughs> no doubt. So we can't talk about 2010 without a game that I could argue is the biggest win in the history of South Carolina football, and that is the 2010 Alabama game. Uh, what do you remember oh, yeah. just as a whole from that day? Oh, man, I remember we did like the Gamecock walk, and I remember – my parents, my parents only missed two games uh, my entire career when I was in South Carolina, so they were always there. And they were at this game, and uh, I remember at the Gamecock walk, I'm walking in, and uh, my grandparents, both sets of grandparents, were up for the game, uh, and I remember giving my mom a hug. And um, this was when that that Black Eyed Peas song was big. I got a feeling. Mm-hmm. And yep, she yep. like kind of whispered in my ear right when right when she hugged me. She said, "I got a feeling you you guys are going to beat these guys this week or today." And you know that that was that's the first thing that I remember about that that entire game. But then after that, um, shoot, with Garcia was twenty one and twenty four. I mean, his stat line was incredible. Um, Alshon had that big one handed catch. Um, I just remember kind of it being like a we're here and we're here to play. I mean, they, they were untouchable. They had, the quarterback was McElroy and then Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson. I mean, they were stacked and their defense had Hightower and Courtney Upshaw and just name after name. And I think, you know, looking back, they have name after name, but I remember like prepping for the game. I was just like, these are just dudes. These are just guys. These are, this is an SEC team that's good. We've played against, you know, we played against these guys the year before. Uh, we played them tight the first half, and they blew us out in the second half. Um, so I just remember it being like, you know, these these guys aren't invincible. Um, they put their pants on while I get a time like us, and let's just go out there and battle with them. And I mean, that game was probably the mo- one of the most physical games we played, um, being against such a such a good opponent. But um, yeah, it was just, you know, we just went out and executed. Um, I think Tory scored a touchdown on the corner of the end zone. Um, Steven scored on a draw, or was or was that Marcus on the draw? Was, um, I think that was Marcus. It was Marcus on the draw because I was playing tight end. I remember I ran my guy off and him turned his back. Um, Steven yeah, had just, the I mean, infamous, of, uh, infamous uh, kick out or kick or throw out of the back of the end zone. I forget. Oh, uh, he had the bad snap, and he flipped it and <laughs> hit the goalpost, and it came right. back and play. And I was, like, freaking out, like, oh, God, they're going to pick it up and score a touchdown. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, some good memories. No doubt. So that same year, obviously, 2010, you guys go down to the swamp. You already mentioned Steven Garcia running over Will Hill. But 
You guys win the clinch the SEC East. You're headed to Atlanta, the first and still the only South Carolina team to ever make its way to the SEC championship game. I mean, just talk about overall from your perspective what that meant uh, to you and the team, and you know, at that point and still to this day, to say that you were the South Carolina team that made you know punched its ticket to Atlanta. Oh, what an amazing experience! When we beat Florida down at Florida. Uh, it was a night game. Uh, we probably got back to Williams Bryce from the airport at two or three in the morning. And I kid you not, the entire lower bowl of our stadium was filled with fans um, who got up, stayed up. I don't know what happened, but the entire lower bowl was full of fans. And they did like a pep rally at like three in the morning for us winning, uh, winning the East and getting ready to go for the uh, SEC championship game. And, I mean, it was just an incredible experience. And, of course, we had no – no one gave us a heads up. It was like we walk in, go to drop our stuff off in the locker room, and Coach Burger's like, hey, guys, come on out here. And the whole lower bowl's full. And he gives, like, a little spiel, and then he goes, hey, DeMarc, come say some words to the fans. And I had nothing prepared. <laughs> but I just went out there and, you know, gave my appreciation for them supporting us and told them we were going to go out and, uh, and give them hell for the SEC championship game. So it was, uh, you know, it was an incredible experience to be the first team to ever go. Um, you know, I wish we were the first team to ever go and to win, but, um, you know, to really set the precedent of, uh, you know, South Carolina is a program that's, that's, that's going to compete in the SEC and, um, you know, go out there day in and day out and, and go out there and compete and, you know, try, try, hopefully they can win one here soon. I think it's, uh, the East is going to be wide open uh, here these next few years. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we were the first to go, but these next, these next few years, hopefully we actually win an SEC. Yeah, no doubt. And I was just going to say, Pat, for sure. I think that you guys, um, certainly your class, I know there was a piece written a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago or so about the 2007 class, the impact you guys had. I, I definitely think it's fair to say that you guys sort of set the precedent and laid the foundation for what we saw happen from 2011 to 2013, the, the three straight 11-win seasons, all the success that Coach Spurrier in South Carolina had, and I agree with you. I think it's just around the corner uh, getting back to that. So I definitely want to talk about your NFL career because I will say, Pat, I appreciate you coming on because you are literally the first current NFL Gamecock we've had on the show. So I think it's a very, very unique opportunity to talk about your NFL career. Um, like you mentioned, you were signed by the San Diego Chargers as an undrafted free agent. Um, in 2011, obviously went on the IR, fracture a bone in your foot. You went to the Chiefs, um, played a couple of games with them. On May 30th, 2013, you're signed by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, talk yeah. about what clicked with Atlanta because you went from being a guy that really hadn't done much in the NFL to, in my opinion, having a very, very uh, successful career, specifically with Atlanta and what has led into a successful stint with the Bills as well. Talk about what clicked for you in Atlanta. Yeah, you know, I was, you know, bouncing around. I broke my my third day of training camp my rookie year uh, with the Chargers. And then basically I, I thought my opportunity to play in the NFL was gone before it even started. And, you know, it wasn't a, a talent thing. It was more of just a, a freak injury. I remember when I when I broke my foot after practice, I went in the training room. Knew, I knew something was up, but I just, you know, I said, can I get a bag of ice? My foot's bugging me. And the trainer's like, I can't just give you a bag of ice. Let me let me check out your foot. And I found finding out it was broken. So I think it was more of just playing with the chip on my shoulder. Like, you know, especially when I got to Kansas City, 
because when I got released from the Chargers, I went, uh, I think, four or five months and didn't hear anything from any teams. And, and my agent worked his tail off to get me an opportunity with the Chiefs. And um, I went and did a workout with them. And they signed me to their – signed me for training camp and then ended up signing me to the practice squad. And I got elevated later, uh, like week 11. I played the last five games of the season. Um, but I, I think it was more just, you know, I was tired of – you know, bouncing around two years, two different teams. Um, and, and it was really just a good fit in Atlanta, you know, having uh, Steven Jackson was running back there, uh, a vet guy who could really kind of help groom me and, and my, my playing ability, guys like Jason Snelling and, and Jacquez Rogers. And I mean, who wouldn't want to play with a quarterback like Matt Ryan? I mean, you can, that guy, had, when I got there, you would think he was, he was leading the league and like comeback victories, two minute drills uh, throughout his career. Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, an opportunity and, and a door open, a door shut when I was in Kansas City and a door open when I was in Atlanta. And I just, I really wanted to take advantage of it. So, um, I kind of did what I've done my entire career and I just went out there and competed and, uh, you know, Atlanta really took a liking to, to my skill set and, um, you know, gave me that opportunity and, you know, I'm, I'm forever grateful because, uh, you know, four years in Atlanta and then I just signed, uh, four years in Buffalo two years ago. So, um. Uh, you know, first few years, it was a heck of a ride, um, kind of mind-boggling at times. What, what's gonna, what am I going to do next? Should I have a plan B? Should this or that to uh, really put together a solid career that hopefully, you know, if I could get to 10 years, that would be, uh, that would be goal playing in the NFL. So two more. No doubt. So I, I got to ask you, the Falcons, what is Arthur Blank like? Because he looks very, you know, cool, very suave on the sidelines and everything. What what is Arthur Blank like as an owner and even around the players? He's super involved, um, which I think is really cool. I've been with some other organizations where the owners aren't as aren't as involved. I mean, it, his his family's around all the time. They're in the locker room. Their um, game days are out there. Practices they're out there. Um, so he's very hands on. I think that's you know part of the reason why that organization is so successful is because he has an actual relationship with the players and not, and not just guys like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Uh, in my first, my first year there, I, I developed a relationship with him. He actually invited a hand, a hand few, a, a select few of us down to his house in Hilton head to do a golf outing after my first year. And, you know, be, being a young fullback, I wasn't expecting to get that invite. And, and I was able to go down there and, and meet more of his family. And, um, you know, it was, it was really cool. He does a really good job of making, you feel important and making you feel included and, and giving you, um, you know, the confidence that, that you're a part of this organization and you're here for a reason. Uh, and I think it gives you uh, more confidence to go out there and, and play at a high level. No but doubt. He's definitely Rico, Rico Suave with all of his nice suits. <laughs> and, and he always looks so stressed on the sidelines when there's three or four minutes left. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's super involved. He's, uh, he's so invested in it. And, um, I know he loves it. For sure. So I want to move to 2015 because, <clears throat> excuse me, 2015 was certainly, I would argue, your best year of football ever in your career. You were named to the Pro Bowl in 2015, second team all pro, week four of the 2015 NFL season. You actually graded out as the best fullback in the NFL by pro football focus, um, had your first multi-touchdown game, and you also won the Falcons' Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, or you were a nominee for them for the Falcons. Um, just talk about 2015 as a whole, you know, what, did anything change going into that year and 
just talk about your accomplishments from 2015 as a whole. Yeah, you know, we um, that year was actually a, was a tough year to start the year. Um, you know, I, I actually had just signed a two-year extension, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a great. You know, really, I was fighting for my job uh, going into that training camp. I had a guy that I was competing with for the spot, and we were we were pretty neck and neck throughout all training camp. And in the last game of the year, our last preseason game, I actually got the nod to start and I played well and I was able to kind of follow that up. But I think the probably the biggest difference and kind of the, the change my um I was able to start, you know, not just playing better, but being more involved was uh Kyle Shanahan and his offenses staff. Um, you know, they use a fullback a lot and I'm definitely a player that plays on uh that plays better when I'm involved more. Uh going back to my South Carolina days. When I'm on the field more I'm gonna play more. I have more confidence. I can get in a rhythm. I think most uh, most athletes are like this. Uh, so I think a lot of it was just my play time uh, and getting getting more opportunities. And, you know, with all that, um, you know, I practiced more. I, I got more reps in practice. And I was able to really sharpen my, sharpen my sword uh, when it came to the game. So um, I think a lot of it had to do with the offensive scheme. Running the outside zone was is something that's more tailored to me. Not being a big 250. 50 240 pound fullback I'm 235 236 but being able to move in space being able to get on safeties uh being able to finesse linebackers and, and when I need to get downhill go get downhill on those guys so uh, a lot of it was the scheme and um you know and just and just being utilized so um that was definitely a big year and also having a guy like Devontae Freeman who, who had a breakout year that year um blocking for a guy like him definitely helps out too for sure. So I almost hate to do it, Pat, but you know, I've got to ask you about it. Super Bowl 51 against the New England Patriots. Oh. <laughs> Talk about the good and the bad, because again, you're a guy, you're a South Carolina guy that it's crazy. We've seen these South Carolina Gamecocks playing in the Super Bowl. It feels like I can't remember the last time a Gamecock was in the Super Bowl. And you're a guy, you had two catches mm-hmm. for 12 yards in that game. You can proudly say, I played in the Super Bowl, I contributed in the Super Bowl, but we obviously know how the game went. I, I mean, just lay it out for people that were just watching that game on TV or even that were just in the stands. I mean, can you explain Super Bowl 51? Oh man. Um, just so many emotions uh, throughout the course of that game that, that week. I mean, it was, it was an incredible experience, you know, playing in the Super Bowl is, is an honor. And it's, you know, it comes with a lot of hard work and, um, you know, doing it with the guys that we did in Atlanta, it was a really special year. We, you know, offensively, we scored a bunch of points. I think we set some records and stuff like that. So it was a really special year. But to get to the Super Bowl, uh, you know, the, between media day and, you know, literally you're gone for a week. You're pract- we practiced at the University of Rice for a week. Uh, we did meetings in a hotel. Um, so it was just a really, really neat experience, really cool experience, something that, you know, I'll have forever. But when it comes to the game, we came out, uh, we had a – an incredible game plan for him. Um, came out the first drive, drove down uh, and scored. Um, Devontae had a huge run. Uh, very first play of the game, we ran like a – and most of me out of the backfield, and we ran like a like a toss sweep, like kind of a, had some guys pulling, like a down-down around scheme. And um, it gained like 30 or 40 yards, and that's when we knew, like, all right, we're going to roll on these boys. And uh, I think Austin Cooper – or Austin Hooper, our tight end, ended up scoring the first touchdown of the game. Um, 
you know, we just, you know, cut right before halftime, Robert Alford picked, picked the pass off, ran it back for a touchdown. Um, I mean, we were riding high and I think, uh, I think some of the young guys thought the game was over before it was over. Um, little did they know there's a guy by the name of Tom Brady who had the ball uh, majority of the second half. Unfortunately, I think they had like, I think they had like 94, 95 offensive plays the Patriots had in that game, which is an astronomical amount of plays. I think we, they limited us to 60 because when we had it, we scored, but they'd have these long drives and kind of keep us off the field. Um, but yeah, you know, when, when we were up, uh, what was it, 28-3 in the third quarter? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, we were on top of the world. Uh, I think guys thought we had already won before we'd won. Uh, some guys got complacent, but um, I think a lot of the older guys kind of knew that we needed to continue to roll because Tom can do anything at any any point in time like he did. Um, but yeah, you know, at the end of the game was – was pretty awful. Uh, you know, felt terrible. Uh, Devontae missed a protection with uh, Dante Hightower, sack, uh, strip sack, and then ended up picking the ball up. And and that was like the momentum point of the game um, is when that happened because I think they got the ball. They were down two or three scores with seven or eight minutes left when that happened. And, um, you know, they ended up scoring on that drive. And and then when Julio made that catch in the fourth quarter, I'm like, you're making me relive all this stuff, and, and I hate you for it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm um, <laughs> but uh, Julio made that catch on the sideline, which, you know, personally I thought it sealed the game. I thought we were going to run the ball first, second down, first and second down, and then run the ball again on third down. And if we needed to kick a field goal, be up uh, seven points and the best we could do uh, – or no, we would have been up two scores, uh, but we ended up throwing the ball on first down, having a holding penalty back in the south, and then we took a sack. Uh, and I think we had another holding penalty, and we ended up having a punt to him. And literally, I was just sitting there on the sideline praying that, you know, Tom would get sacked or some fluke thing would happen. And then I think I think that was the drive when Edelman caught the – Right, the unbelievable was it, I think that was the – yeah, I think that was the last drive of the game. Um, well, before before overtime. Um, so yeah, it was just you know, been in the locker room after the game uh, was awful. Uh, you know, guys were crying, and, and it was just you know, so many emotions going on. You know, our season was over. That was the last time that 2016 group of Atlanta Falcons were going to be together, free agency, and and how the league works. Uh, it's a revolving door. So it was. You know, it was it was sad. Uh, you know, I'd probably say it took several months to get over it. Um, but you know, there, there's always this, this next year we get a chance to get back and, and play in the Super Bowl and hopefully win one. So hopefully uh, we can pick things up in Buffalo and hopefully we can get that opportunity. No doubt. You brought up a great point that I, I wanted to address. Uh, Kyle Shanahan now currently with the San Francisco 49ers doing big things as their head coach. There was a lot of criticism to him about – you talked about the series where you guys elected to throw the ball instead of run the ball. Was there any confusion or any thoughts from the player's perspective, player's side as to – you know, obviously I know you trust in your coaches, kind of go what they say, but, I mean, it felt like everyone in the building was expecting run the football, get the field goal, make it a two-score game like you talked about it. I mean, do you have any insight as to why that wasn't the plan? Um, I – you know, I, I struggled with that after the game went crazy, um, you know, it, it ate at me a lot. And I actually, 
talked to him that night after the game. I, you know, I kind of just went up and asked him, I was like, hey, what were you thinking? Um, and he basically said, you know, that hindsight's twenty twenty. If I could go back, I would have ran the ball first down, second down, third down, kicked the field goal, been up two scores. But to his, uh, you know, to his credit, he made a lot of very gutsy calls throughout the course of that year. And that's why we were so successful. Um, you know, he, um, we, we played on, we played on the edge and, um, you know, it was a call that, you know, looking back, he wishes he could, he could change it, but in the heat of the moment, that's, those are the type of calls that got us to the Super Bowl. And I think he was relying on, you know, just our team, the confidence, um, and everything that we've done so far that year. Um, so you, you can't blame him for going with what works. Um, and, and, uh, you know, Matt was the MVP that year and put the ball in the MVP's hands. Um, unfortunately the holding penalty was kind of the, the, the dagger to that, but, um, yeah, I talked to him. We, we squashed it. He gave me a big hug and told me how much he loved me and how much he appreciated me and, and everything like that. And, um, you know, I, I still have a good relationship with Kyle unless, unless we have to play. I don't think we play him this year, but one of these years we'll play him and, and we won't have a good relationship that one week. <laughs> no, no doubt. So, um, getting off that game now, <laughs> you, you, uh, on March 9th, 2017, you, you sign a four year deal with the, uh, the Buffalo Bills, which you, like you said, you're in the middle of right now. Funny side note story to that, Pat. It's funny. I was actually, uh, I remember when I got the notification, I had the ESPN notifications on my phone. ESPN messed up. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I'll be honest, I'm not a huge NFL guy, more of a South Carolina college guy, but obviously mm-hmm. pull for the Panthers being here. The ESPN notification actually said you got signed by the Panthers. So I'm freaking out. Patrick DeMarco is coming to Charlotte. We got another Gamecock in Charlotte to be with Demir Bird. Come to find out like five <laughs> minutes later, my friends are like, no, he didn't. He signed with the Bills. So that that was a letdown. But you signed with the Buffalo Bills. It's funny, again, being in Charlotte, there's a lot of uh, – a lot of people come from upstate New York. I know a lot of buddies from Ithaca, Syracuse, Rochester, even Buffalo. Um, so I definitely mm-hmm. understand. They remind me a lot of South Carolina fans, just their passion, you know, supporting their team week in, week out, no matter the result, no matter the score. Uh, what has being in Buffalo been like for you and kind of what's your relationship with the fan base and Bill's Mafia? Yeah, I mean, it, they don't – up in the north, they don't have big college, SEC. They don't – like they don't get amped and hyped for Saturday, like college game day, which still baffles me being from living, living in the South my entire life. Like you could go to, you could go to a bar on a, on a Saturday at three thirty when the CBS game's on and like nobody's watching the TV and it's just kind of like, like, <laughs> like just another day. And then, and then Sunday clicks and uh, new era field is just, I mean, these fans are, are it's the best way to put it. It's, it's an NCC school in the NFL. Um, I mean, they, when I leave the stadium on Friday afternoon after work, the RV deck, the RV lot is full. I mean, these fans are there all weekend. They're partying all weekend. Uh, they're probably jumping through tables on, on Friday night. If, if I had to put my money on it. Um, I mean, they're just, they're diehard. Um, they live and die by it. And it's, uh, you know, it's really cool to see that passion. Um, you know, that they have. It definitely inspires us to go out and, and, and lay it all on the line because these fans, um, you know, to the sick and thin, to the weather, to the good seasons, the bad seasons, they show up and they support us and they love us. And, um, 
you know, it's an amazing community. Buffalo itself is, um, you know, it's a tough town and, and the people there are tough. And I think that's kind of the embodiment of the team and the culture of the team and the organization is, is, is just going to be tough, hard-nosed people just, just, like the, just like the city of Buffalo is. And I can tell you that every, every other team in the NFL hates to come to Buffalo, New York to play a football game. Because of our fan base and because of the weather, it's um, you know, it's it's quite a place to play. It's um, you know, it's been a really cool last couple of years. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's the transition been like for you being up in Buffalo? I mean, I know you're a Florida guy, and uh, I've been to Buffalo myself in November, early December, and you know, you can feel the. It's funny when you're. It's really the wind. I feel like that gets you up there. It's like slapping you in the face. That lake effect. Um, what's it been like for you going from the warm? Warm, sunny Florida, all the way up to Buffalo, New York. Oh my! Um, when I signed my contract, I saw I, I signed it, or I agreed to it the day before, and then I went up there to to sign it. My first purchase of the Buffalo Bill was a winter coat because I had to fly <laughs> up there in March to go sign my contract. So that was um, that was my first buy, uh, and those cuts are expensive, man. Um, yeah, oh yeah. Um, but it's uh, you know it's. It's been, it's been really cool. It's been uh, an awesome experience to to be from Florida and then live in Atlanta in the off season. Like I've I've never experienced a true true winter. Um, let let alone how to shovel my own driveway and and do things like that. So it's it's been it's been awesome. And you know, me and my wife, uh, our son turns three on Friday. So to like be able to go outside and do snow angels and build snowmen and like it's just it's it's something that you know we'll have memories of it forever and um you know it's, it's it's been really cool um you know it hurts being outside sometimes early mornings when i wake up at five thirty-six, and you know we have a one-car garage and of course my wife gets the uh gets the garage spot so i go out early and brush all the snow off and shovel the driveway and yeah negative five does not feel good outside in the morning <laughs> So you were – I want to talk about that. Your first season on Buffalo, you're on the 2017 team, you guys, in the 18-year playoff drought in Buffalo. I know Buffalo had to be had to be buzzing. You guys go down to Jacksonville and play. Unfortunately, don't get the win. But, I mean, just talk about – I mean, in college, you're on a team that does something for the very first time going to the SEC championship, and then you're on the Bills team in 2017, again, that breaks that 18-year playoff drought. Just talk about how cool that was to be that Buffalo Bills team that finally broke through. Oh man, I thought the I thought the fans were going to burn down the city when uh, when we went down to Miami to to get a playoff spot. I, I literally thought the city was going to burn down because these fans were they were out and we flew back that night and kind of like the whole South Carolina experience. Um, when we got to the airport, I guess I got leaked on what airport we fly into uh, and where kind of our our plane pulls up. There were I kid you not, probably five thousand fans at our at our little spot at the airport just going nuts with signs and it was on New Year's too. It was New Year's it was New Year's Eve. And so they canceled all I guess all their New Year's plans and they came and just wanted to celebrate with us and there was uh, there was four or five thousand fans in our like little parking lot and giving us all high fives and congratulating us and taking pictures and it was it was really cool. And I mean I've so many people, so many fans have told me that that was the greatest day of their lives. Um, so it's it's really cool just how passionate these fans are and just how loyal they are. Um, you know, unfortunately, like you said, we, we went down to Jacksonville and 
and I, I think we lost 10 to three. It was just uh, kind of a defensive battle and we had the ball on the one yard line and weren't able to punch it in. We actually threw a pass on the one yard line and ended up having offensive pass interference and backing us up to the 16. Uh, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, it's a whole, whole different ball game. And who knows, we, we could have played, I think they ended up playing the Steelers the next week. Um, so we could have made a run at it, but unfortunately we didn't get that game. And, you know, just uh, just getting that one playoff game gave you a taste of what Buffalo is like in the playoffs and in the postseason. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fired up these next few years to, to get a chance to, you know, potentially bring this, uh, bring Buffalo home a, a, a Super Bowl. No doubt, and I feel like you should be fired up because you guys have a young gunslinger. I feel like the NFL is moving towards that with these young quarterbacks, these young hotshot quarterbacks. Josh Allen out of Wyoming is drafted by the Buffalo Bills, played his first full season this year. Um, just talk about what you saw from the young quarterback and your relationship with Josh Allen. Uh, he's a stud. Um, you know, he has the confidence of a 10-year vet. Um, and not only that, but he has the poise, and he just – he handles himself the right way. He prepares. He prepares like prepares like a champion. Um, um, he's just an all around, just a good dude. Um, a fierce competitor. Kind of reminds me of Stephen Garcia uh, with his athletic ability running. Um, you know, he's not afraid to drop a shoulder on a 250 pound linebacker. Sometimes we tell him like, "Hey, dude, calm down. This is the NFL. It's not Wyoming. You can't run over everybody here, and we need you next week. So don't be don't be dumb." Um, so, uh, yeah, having Josh has been awesome. Uh, you know, he had some, some rookie moments last year, just like every, just like every rookie quarterback does, but, um, you know, he's going to be a good quarterback in this league for a long time. And, uh, I'm really excited about his future. Can he chug beer like Steven Garcia? I think is my follow-up question to that. Cause you, you had to drop the Garcia reference. So, um, Josh can put him back actually. Uh, he, he's got a little bit of, a little bit of party boy to him. I think he was the uh, he was pr- the guy at Wyoming. So um, yeah, Josh is just an all around good dude. We um, we went to some functions and we were able to have a have a drink or two. And, and Josh is you know he's a lot of fun. He's um, he's a good dude. He's definitely he's definitely one of the bros. No doubt. I, I know Tom Brady's coming back for another year, but any chance you're willing to guarantee a uh, Bill Super Bowl appearance next year? Any chance? Any chance? This is your it's your time to do it. Hey, we're gonna give it. We're gonna give everybody hell next year. Whether it gets us to the Super Bowl or not, we're gonna embrace the the toughness of Buffalo, and we're gonna go out and we're gonna fight our tails off, game after game. And you know, hopefully that ends in a Super Bowl win. Um, you know, I'm not big on making guarantees that I can't back up, um, but I can promise you that one thing that I can guarantee you that we're gonna go out and we're gonna fight our tails off week in week out. Absolutely love to hear it. All right, last question before I let you go. Uh, because this is a South Carolina Gamecocks podcast, I want to ask you favorite uh, favorite Steve Spurrier story you have from South Carolina that you can tell on the airwaves. Oh man, um, this has to be like PG rated. Oh no, whatever. No, whatever is fine. Any <laughs> any Spurrier story is good with us. Oh man, um, shoot, there's so many. Um, let's go with. Um, I got one. Okay, so Coach Spurrier during training camp every year when the when the young guys come in, he always gives us like kind of a rules, like his breakdown of rules, and and it's always, um, you know, he's like, all right, guys, um, you know, I don't mind you guys talking the way you talk, saying bad words and stuff sometimes, but he's like, 
just no f-bombs just just no f-bombs i don't like that word i don't i don't embrace it so he's like shit damn hell oh that's all fine you can say that stuff just no f-bombs and I'm like, okay okay and i think it was like week three week three or four my junior year and we're watching tape and coach Perry has the cooker and steven throws a pick and he's watching the tape and he bursts out and he yells the f word bleep steven what are you thinking here are you serious you're making this throw why are you doing this why are you doing that and then you hear like an awkward like 10 seconds of silence and he looks over both shoulders and everyone's staring at him like coach that's the that's the forbidden word you can't say that and he goes why are you guys looking at me like that he's like i said fuck f-o-c-k f-o-c-k <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the whole room just started bursting out laughing. It was just, oh, man, just typical Spurrier moment. Awesome. Love it. Well, Patrick, I really do appreciate you being gracious with your time. We appreciate, obviously, everything that you did in Garnet and Black and, you know, laying the foundation for the program, the point it is today. And I'm very, very excited to watch you and the Buffalo Bills take on another season and really just watch how the rest of your NFL career uh, unfolds. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on the show. Oh, I appreciate you guys having me. I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to whenever I'm done playing, getting more involved with the university and, um, you know, maybe helping out in any capacity when it comes on the football side when I'm all done. Absolutely. No, I, and I know South Carolina Nation is very proud of you and the rest of the Gamecocks. It's very, very cool to uh, – it makes tuning into the NFL, especially for someone like me and maybe for the South Carolina fans that aren't huge NFL fans, I know it definitely makes it fun for me to tune in and see all the former South Carolina Gamecocks balling out on Sundays because – there are plenty of them for sure at this point, but uh, but yeah, man, it's all it's always a pleasure. Let's get you back on and chat definitely sometime either during or maybe right after the NFL season. Sounds good. We uh, you know from from all the NFL guys, we appreciate all the support and love from from all Gamecock Nation. It's uh you know it's a, it's a select brotherhood, and you know once you go go on campus and you play at South Carolina, you're you're part of a family forever, and we we really appreciate everybody.